Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, hello there. Good morning at you. It's the 13th of June, 2018, and we're still here. Uh, I was just uh, bemusedly uh, thinking about when I returned from my self-imposed hiatus uh, uh, that I took in February because my head was just exploding. (laughs) I was so, uh, you know, I was becoming mentally ill, I think, because of Donald Trump. I was... I couldn't continue, right? So when I came back, I I I said that I I just there was no way I could continue to do this unless I, you know, dialed it back a little bit. And I was pretty successful, I thought, for about a month and a half. <laughs> and here we are again. Well, thank you very much. Jesus H. So, um. Here we are, right back. I mean, so far I'm handling it better. Um, I don't know if you've noticed I'm sort of shrinking, but I've uh, since that hiatus I've lost over 30 pounds. <laughs> I'm continuing to lose weight. Uh, that's not bad. That's that, that's good, I guess. Um, and I'm hanging on to some of the uh, stuff that I managed to do there to keep my head from exploding. But I, I have to tell you, I mean, it's really hard. And, and what I, I guess what I wanted to say is as I looked at all the stuff I'm thinking of speaking about today or addressing, um, you know, the, the, there's nothing happy here. And I, I do look. I'm still looking <laughs> for stuff. But I'm also uh, aware that we do need to keep our eyes on the prize right now and the prize is resting control of our formerly great country uh, away from the crazy people who I won't call them crazy they're I think they're simply awful awful people some unwittingly awful some just followers cowards, but others first degree awful. Uh, I read a review of a book by John Meacham, historian, called The Soul of America. And it's uh, it's subtitled. Why are all books subtitled now? I mean, and sometimes the subtitles are like almost a full chapter. Anyway, this one's not too bad. Uh, The battle for our better angels is the subtitle of the Soul of America, and of course, uh, better angels uh, is alluding to the extraordinary speech given by perhaps our most eloquent President Abraham Lincoln at a very fraught time in our nation's history. Um, Actually, it was his first inaugural address. And uh, shortly after he uh, 
he gave that rousing, you know, I hope that somehow we we appeal to the better angels of our nature, he was saying, and then immediately after the speech, uh, of course, the South seceded and the Civil War began. So the better angels of our nature, uh, although summoned, did not show up. I think the idea behind Meacham's book is to suggest that historically we have been in fraught places before. It's, it's an attempt to buck us up to say that even though we've been in such danger before of losing the better angels of our nature, we somehow have always managed. Uh, and make no mistake, uh, the time we are in now is one of the most fraught times in our nation's history. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, but man, this forest is, is, uh, is, is very, very visible to anyone who's paying attention. And it's a dark forest we are in. Uh, this nation's survival has never been a, a sure thing. We just think it was because it's always somehow managed to crawl back, to get itself back, uprighted again when we have fallen. Uh, but Meacham points out that we have had leadership that has helped us in the worst of times. And if you look around right now, we ain't got none. None. We are left by ourselves. We are leaderless. And the leader that this country has is a dangerous buffoon. Anyway, Meacham in this uh, book talks about the fact that if you look at our history and look at the presidents who have saved us when we've gone off the rails, they are almost all progressives. In fact, they are all progressives. Both Roosevelt's. Harry Truman, Lyndon Johnson, I don't know if I call Truman a progressive, but given what we, where, we at, where, where we're at now, I mean Richard Nixon was a progressive. But these guys all came up and helped the nation see hope again in their time. And they all worked to reverse injustice, to expand equality, and now we have leadership that are doing the exact opposite, proudly. Our country is now in the hands of people who represent the darkest side of America's soul. And Meacham addresses that, too, in the book. You know, I, I think I said something yesterday about how, you know, we are no longer the shining city on the hill this country has at times i mean it's a you know it's a mythology that we we embrace 
but it has never seemed more myth than it is now. We are now acting irresponsibly on the world stage. We are acting cruelly to our own people. The worst parts of our nature seem empowered. And Meacham says this part that we are seeing ascendant right now in Trump's America has always been there, has always been part of America. This darker part of our soul. And he defines it as absolutist, authoritarian, oligarchic, anti-egalitarian, demagogic, and racist. And let us be clear about our history. I have said many times that I know the history books say that the North the Union won the Civil War. But I'm not so sure that's true. I believe that the Civil War turns out to be just a battle, one big, the biggest battle, in a much larger war, which continued after the attempt at reconstruction after Lee's surrender. And that battle, the South won with Jim Crow. It essentially reinstated as much as it could with slavery being abolished. The South still defeated, managed to reinstate the terroristic state that it was. And it remains with us. A number of states held primaries yesterday. The Republican Party, now gone totally over to the dark side. It is now Donald Trump's party, imagine that. And it elected as its Senate candidate in Virginia a man who is a flat-out white nationalist, proud displayer of the stars and bars, an unreconstructed rebel, traitor to the ideals of our union. This dark strain was never destroyed. That dark authoritarian racist strain has mutated into various forms throughout our history. And wow, is it ascendant today. It was always there in the demonization of immigrants, in Jim Crow, in our love of, it seems, 
racism, our embrace of racism in this country, and our refusal to, to really face that reality. And unfortunately, Meacham, as an observer and a historian, is, is, it has to acknowledge that these kinds of evil impulses and realities in America's soul have at times infected our party politics. But for the most part, believe me, I can think of some exceptions too here, for the most part, the national parties have refused to give them legitimacy. That is no longer a statement we can make. That is no longer a statement we can make. They, under Donald Trump, have become not just ascendant, but entrenched in what was, ironically, Abraham Lincoln's party. Abraham Lincoln's party does not exist anymore. Donald Trump's party has taken its place. And the old Republicans could always muster enough honorable men, usually, to beat back these dark forces. It was actually George W.'s grandfather, right? Yeah, Prescott Bush, a Republican, who was one of the Republicans who rose finally to denounce Senator Joe McCarthy. There are no such Republicans now, not in any position of leadership and not where they back it up. And we see why also in the election last night, the primaries, uh, South Carolina or North Carolina, I get them mixed up, South Carolina, I think. Mark Sanford, famous for being the governor, right, who disappeared because he was walking the Appalachian Trail and he was really, uh, yeah, uh, having an affair. Uh, well, he's now in the... Uh, House of Representatives, and he lost his primary uh, last night. Uh, he was uh, beaten by a full-on Trump supporter when Sanford had had the modicum of courage to be somewhat critical of Donald Trump. And the voters of his party, this now Trump party, threw him out last night, and as I said, in Virginia, elevated an out-and-out racist, their candidate for Senate. So make no mistake, the things that in the past have sort of been there as, as blocks, as stopping this awful part of our collective soul, it's not there anymore. They're the, only, they're, the party has embraced, the, for the first time, a major party has embraced the dark side, the dark strain, unapologetically. 
And so this review says, not since 1861, when the Civil War began, has the authoritarian part, the racist part of the American soul, so damaged and endangered our democracy and the rule of law. And make no mistake, it will not be overcome easily. So that's the, that's the reality. And um, I can want happy kumbaya moments here, um, but we've also got to um, deal with reality. And that reality is, is truly uh, daunting. Okay, so I need to speak about something that uh, left me speechless. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what words are going to come out. I haven't said anything about it to anybody yet, but and I'm hoping you've already seen it, so you'll know what I'm stumbling, bumblingly trying to say something about. And that is, of course... Destiny Pictures presents a story of opportunity, a new story, a new beginning, one of peace, two men, two leaders, one destiny. Yeah, it, it's a trailer for essentially a, a, a movie. But astonishingly, it was, I guess, the opening gambit that the President of the United States used uh, in his summit with the evil dictator Kim Jong-un. They actually created a movie. Did you see it? I I have to tell you, you know, and before the president did his press conference after the, while he's still in Singapore and there, uh, he did the press conference, they played this thing that he had played for the North Korean despot. And Trump was so proud of it. And all of these reporters from countries all over the world were in that room and they didn't know what was happening. They were looking at this trailer for some movie that clearly starred uh, Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump and showed that Kim Jong-un was going to... Somehow, in this movie, if he made the right moves, was going to totally alter North Korea into the most glorious place, an Eden. And all of this, I mean, people who have been uh, doing diplomacy for a million years have used words like speechless 
gobsmacked, stunned. I really don't know what to say. Let me let me read a few more of the of the of the voiceover for this uh, trailer. And if you have not seen it, you must, because we are in a dystopian nightmare here. So the video shows the dark side of North Korea. It shows missiles going off. And it shows its people in black and white, isolated. And then it shows Kim Jong-un looking like he's seen the light. And all of a sudden bright colors and happy North Koreans. And here's the narration. It comes down to a choice. On this day, in this time, at this moment, the world will be watching, listening, anticipating, hoping. Will this leader choose to advance his country and be part of a new world? Be the hero of his people? Will he shake the hand of peace and enjoy prosperity like he has never seen? A great life or more isolation? Which path will be chosen? Now stop and think. This is what Trump showed him when they first met. If I were Kim Jong-un, and I have to admit, as much of an empath as I am, I have no idea what that would be. But I'm not an idiot. And I am a hard man. And I have played at the highest levels on the world stage. That's not nice. Did you hear that? Did that sound like a Surrey kind of voice saying that's not nice? What the fuck? What was that? That came from my computer. I disable her. I don't let her ever talk. What is that? Oh, God, I really can't take this world. I can't. That's not nice. Shut the F up. I don't even remember where I was. If I were Kim Jong-un, I would be. Feel so talked down to. I would be looking at this and thinking, this dotard is even more of a fool than I thought. He thinks that this... What does he think I am, a child? What does he think I am? Him? Someone swayed by my face on television and amazing images and being told I'm starring in a great movie and the world is watching? This is Trump projecting again. This would work on him. 
the reporters in this room were slack-jawed. They couldn't understand why before Trump came out to speak to them and answer questions that they were being shown what appeared to be a North Korean propaganda piece. The end of this repulsive cartoon says this. Remember, it starts with Destiny Pictures Presents. And it ends thusly. Featuring, in case you hadn't gotten it, featuring President Donald Trump, top billing, and Chairman Kim Jong-un in a meeting to remake history, to shine in the sun, one moment, one choice, what if the future remains to be written? And so taking questions from these stunned reporters who found their voices, the president said, yeah, I showed it to him. And <coughs> I showed it to him. And here's the president's words. That was a version of what could happen, what could take place. As an example, and this was where he, this quote came from, they have great beaches. You see that whenever they're exploding their cannons into the ocean, right? Boy, look at that view. Wouldn't that make a great condo behind? And I explained, this is your president, I said, you know, instead of doing that, you could have the best hotels in the world right there. Think of it from a real estate perspective. Oh dear. Okay. So. What did we get? What did the great negotiator, the great deal maker get here? We know what he gave. What did he get? He gave our enemies what they've been desperate for. First of all, he gave Kim Jong-un legitimacy and words of such over-the-top praise. He actually said he loves his people. This is the guy who imprisons millions of his people in conditions so evil that they are Nazi-like concentration camps. People peeling bark off of trees to eat. 
This is the guy who ordered the assassination of his own brother, who made his generals watch as he killed, assassinated another one of his generals, who apparently didn't bow and scrape enough, by firing anti what, some kind of like anti-aircraft missiles at him or something? I mean, just obliterating the guy. This is a guy who rules by sheer fiat and fear. And our president, the president of the United States of America, representing you and me to the world, has called him honest, has said he loves his people, On the other hand, he has called uh, Justin Trudeau dishonest. And one of his minions has said there's a special place in hell for Justin Trudeau. If you feel like the world is turned upside down, uh, well, your perception is correct. Who wanted the joint exercises with uh, South Korea and the United States, which they've done forever, that I can remember, so that they are ready in case North Korea attempts an invasion of the South? Who has wanted those stopped? Kim Jong-un, China, and Russia. Who has wanted them continued? Our ally, South Korea. Everything this president does is like a checklist of what Russia wants or North Korea wants. And then he's getting credit. This, this blew my mind. Of course, he's getting credit for like, now we have established communication, and now, blah, 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 there is less tension. Who ratcheted up the tension? He did. Remember when we were worried we, we were going to have a nuclear war? Fire and fury, and talking about essentially obliterating North Korea? That was our president. The New York Times says something that I think is, is right on the money. It says that Trump has a keen sense of how to engage authoritarian thugs. Now, why would that be? <laughs> because he is an authoritarian thug. And he knows that these thugs crave respect, as he does, crave legitimacy, as he does. And so in that regard, that gets us back to this little absurd movie he made. It's the kind of thing that he would want for himself. To star in the biggest movie. To remake history. And in fact, he is the star. He got top billing in that little movie. And he just assumes that Kim Jong-un is going to be just like him. And be wowed. Destiny Pictures starring 
But these murderous thugs are Donald Trump's people. It's why he's drawn to them. He's one of them. He's one of them. He's much more comfortable with them than he is with the adults, the Democrats, the people who believe in liberal democracy, who he had to sit with at the G7. Those people give him the creeps. They don't treat him with the kind of respect he wants. Okay, for those of you who are just uh, really, really uh, wanting uh, Amazon to come to Pittsburgh, I have said since day one, please, dear God, don't let them choose us. Did you see the latest, huh? Talking about thugs, Amazon's a thug. Amazon is a bully. It's like we're begging the world's, one of the world's biggest bullies, Come over to my house. Take it. Amazon, who goes around and pits American cities against each other, who can throw them the most lucrative enticements so that they can come to their city? And destroy it like they're destroying Seattle. Did you see what's happened in Seattle? The third biggest homeless population in the United States after New York and Los Angeles. And Seattle ain't anywhere near as big as those two cities. Third largest homeless population. Hundreds dying on the streets yearly there. They aren't homeless in Seattle necessarily, sleepless in Seattle. They are not homeless because they might be mentally ill or addicted to drugs necessarily. They're homeless because they live in Amazon's backyard. And since Amazon came to town, the cost of living there, the cost of having a place to lay your head down at night has soared so much that people who had homes, had apartments, had condos are now homeless. They're living in tent cities in Seattle. So the Seattle City Council decided, hey, this is ridiculous and in fact this is what has happened because Amazon and Starbucks and all of these other biggies, uh, Microsoft, I guess, has uh, Paul, Paul Allen, the founder, has his big, uh, what's his investment firm thing there. So these guys employ people, yeah, tens of thousands of people, and they pay them really, really well. 
and the cost of living has gone way, way up, and then you get this these huge social problems. And so the city council said, you know what, guys, <laughs> you rich, you rich, 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 rich. Jeff Bezos is the richest person on earth. You extraordinarily rich people, you actually, um, we appreciate the jobs you've given us, but you, um, you are causing this huge humanitarian uh, crisis. And what we would like is we would like you to help ameliorate the problem you have caused. So we want you, on a yearly basis, to pay a head tax for every employee you have, $500 an employee. That we will put into a huge fund, and with that we will build housing for the people who have been dispossessed by this new Amazonian Seattle. And we will be able to start to rebalance our city. Amazon went batshit crazy. Threatened to stop an expansion of it was doing in the city. Played hardball. So the city council dialed it back. Okay, 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 okay. So not $500 uh, per employee, uh, $275 uh, per employee, and um, and uh, and we will. Uh, there was something else they gave him. I forget. Uh, oh, and we'll scale it back in other ways. We will limit this tax only to companies uh, that had at least twenty million dollars in revenue. Okay, last year, and that passed unanimously. That was a few weeks ago. Amazon went to work. And with its gazillions, it funded a media campaign to tell the folks of Seattle that this could not stand, that this was a tax on jobs. And lo and behold... The City Council of Seattle rescinded the entire plan that they had passed just weeks before. And Amazon said, there, that's better. You want that bully in your beautiful city? You want more homeless people than you already have. You want more beggars on the street. You want tent cities. You want rents to skyrocket, to triple, to quadruple. Imagine that. Do you know what $500 or $275 a head is to Amazon? It's nothing. It's nothing. It's pocket change. And it was to be used 
to ameliorate a human humanitarian crisis that it caused. You want these guys here? I think we're bullied enough by, you know, UPMC and all the other big non-profits. I don't think we need that. And give them tax, tax abatements. Give them stuff left and right while the people of the city are thrown out of their homes. That's the progress. That, that's what passes as progress in this country. Mind-boggling, mind, uh, absolutely mind-boggling to me. It's a deal with the devil. Make no mistake. It's a deal with the devil. You want this quirky little shot in a beer town we love? You want that to be yuppified to beat the band? God almighty. And you know, the little people are, they're coming apart. I hadn't talked about this yet, but did you see? I'm sorry about all of this unhappy news, but this is our reality, okay? And the only way we can change it is to know it, to understand it, and to act. Act like the folks, I think my mom, again, uh, there was a special election in Wisconsin, in Gre Green Bay area for the state senate. That is so red in Green Bay there. I got to tell you, I grew up there. That is red, red. That's sort of, that's Joe McCarthy. Joe McCarthy was 30 miles south. That is conservative as hell. All white, pretty much. It certainly was when I grew up there, and it's not much different now. Trump took it by, God knows, I don't know what, 18 points, 20, you know. it's. Just, I don't think a Democrat has represented that area in the state Senate for a long time. Well, Democrat flipped it. Special election yesterday. And this is a special election that the state Supreme Court had to order because the Republican governor, Scott Walker, was trying to say, we don't need a special election yet. It can wait. Those people don't need any representation until I can get things a little rigged here so that we can blah, 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 blah. So, vote. Okay, remember there was this big story out last week about the suicide rate in this country skyrocketing. Um, the national suicide rate is 25, has increased 25%. Do you know what it has increased in Allegheny County where we are sitting? We should dream of a 25% increase. 66% in Allegheny County. People are killing themselves in despair. This is today's America. And if you look 
at who it is that's killing themselves. It is these people who are now dispossessed. Who feel such loss, stress, don't know where to turn. And they live in a country that doesn't have available help for them. Mental health care available. So they're dying and dying at huge rates. And I'm not talking about the opioid deaths here. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not it at all. This is a whole other thing. 66% increase. The national average, which got news, which made big news. My God, there's a 25% increase in suicides. Puh. We'll take that. We'll double it, and then we'll add on to that. This increase in suicide crosses all age groups, all ethnic groups. The states where it uh, is most on the rise is states where guns are most readily available. And if you look at the people, the economists, the social sociologists who try to figure out what's happening when something like this happens, when there's an extraordinary spike like this, they aren't quite sure, yet they think that it has to do with the hollowing out of our economy and the loss of the middle class. And the fact that what you got is either Amazon workers or people desperately trying to hang on to not becoming another homeless person. That's our country now, the haves and the have-nots. And what used to be there to support the have-nots, like living wages, like jobs that paid a living wage, are gone. Like unions who would represent their workers, protect them, they're practically gone. The stress on people that you don't see, you don't recognize, you don't know, Let's just put it this way. The stress in Allegheny is up 66%. People don't kill themselves just, eh, I think, let's just try that today. No, you reach a state of such despair. Desperation of the people who live around us with nowhere to go, no mental health services available. We do not live in a shining city on a hill. I just want to say that. There is nothing that points to that. So let's just disabuse ourselves of, of, of that. Okay? I'd appreciate it. 
And I couldn't believe this either. This is from McClatchy News. It's uh, Washington Bureau. Headline, Trump looking to erect tent cities to house children. How much more do we need to hear? The Trump administration, this hit yesterday, the Trump administration is looking to build tent cities on military bases around Texas to shelter unaccompanied migrant children who've been snatched out of their parents' arms by the American Gestapo. That's not what McClatchy said. The Department of Health (laughs) and Human Services, misnamed in, of course, a Trump administration, it's now the Department of Abusing Children, Terrorizing Children, are uh, in the process of visiting Fort Bliss. What a um, ironic name. Fort Bliss near El Paso. They're looking at some land there where Trump is considering building a tent city to hold up to 5,000 children as young as infants, toddlers, five-year-olds, Health and Human Service officials confirm this. The shelters that currently are being used are filling up so rapidly. The Office of Refugee Resettlement is responsible right now for the care of more than 11 thousand migrant children being held without their parents. Their parents are being held in a jail someplace else and they are 11,000 children. This is Nazi style stuff, guys. Make no mistake. Okay? Let's just call it what it is. Uh, and and for those of you who like only I, I'm going to talk to like the I know no one none of them are listening the conservatives out there who are like penny pinchers. Do you know how much more expensive it is to separate children from their parents? To have to double the facilities. And children require, I hope, more care than an adult does in detention. Do we just leave them there to rot? Do we uh, educate them? Do we allow them exercise and play? Or we just feed them and give them 
cots or mats to sleep on and little uniforms to wear. What's become of us? Obviously, if you kept children with their parents, you wouldn't need half as many employees to deal with it. You wouldn't need half as many buildings. Parents would take care of their children. Oh, Brian. I just woke up from a coma, says Brian. I turn on your show for news. It's my conclusion that we are in the worst economic times in history. The stock market is at an all-time low and unemployment at an all-time high. I have not said, of course, any of those things. Instead, it's the opposite. I did not say the stock market was low and unemployment. I did not. I have not spoken about that at all. I've talked about our soul. I've talked about the jailing of children and the forced separation of children from their parents. I've talked about empowering despotic, murderous thugs and cozying up to them. And I've talked about insulting our longtime allies. I've talked about an American president who appears to be doing the bidding of the Russians and the Chinese, who I consider a traitor. I haven't said anything. The oligarchic class, of course their stock market is going bonkers. Of course it is. They're always making hay when they can, while they can. And all those jobs you're talking about, Brian... The jobs that are being created in this country, generally speaking, are low-wage jobs without benefits. I cannot tell you how many people I personally work with, college-educated, smart, hard-working, who cannot find full-time work with benefits, who instead rig together part-time jobs with no benefits. It's our gig economy. It's a jungle out there. Some folks are doing just fine. That's great. But anybody whose eyes are open, who's look everything I have said today since you woke up from your coma is true. I have given you no fake news. I have given you numbers, all of which are verifiable. Oh, Brian says, as long as the economy keeps humming along, we're stuck with Trump. Okay, we are overdue for a recession. Well, I, okay, you're saying... Okay, let's hope we get a recession before 2020. I, let's hope, here's what we got to hope, that the people in this country who represent 
the better angels of our nature, realize they have got to stand up. They have got to push back. They have got to be heard. And we have means of doing that. I took to the streets on Sunday myself. I've never done anything like that in my life, organized a protest. Never. People have got to work. If you can't, if you can't write a letter, if you can't call your congressperson, your, your state house, your state rep, and demand change, if you can't make sure that everyone in your orbit is registered, and is going to vote. That's assuming they're going to vote right. If they're not going to vote right, don't say a word to them. We need to take our country back. The Republican Party does not exist anymore. It is an authoritarian thug Trump party. It is a racist party. It would be very much at home in the slave-owning South of 1860. I think that's it. Well, oh, bit of the day. Ira Berlin, historian, 77 years old. His work, his, yes, this intellectual member of the elite, probably, uh, yeah, probably voted for Hillary. This guy's work upended all of the simplistic notions about what slavery was in the United States of America. He spent his life showing what slavery was in this country and how it didn't just exist in the South. It existed in New York. There were slave auctions in New York. Oh, yeah. There were slave riots in New York. Yeah. He's the one who told us. <coughs> that slavery took different forms. But never before it, it had it taken a form. Quite as evil. As it did. In the confederacy. In the southern states of this country, slavery, I'm going to read his words, stood at the very center of economic production. And the master-slave relationship provided the model for all social relations. Husband to wife, parent to child, employer an employee, teacher, and student. It was an authoritarian, racist world. And that's just what I have been saying the Republican Party now represents. That strain in America has never left us. It is now ascendant 
again. Here is another historian talking about the extraordinary work this guy did. He forced us to confront the deep history of slavery in North America, the enormous changes that took place as much of the country came to be dominated by slavery and slaveholders. This country's economy was good then. Whoa, it was humming right along. Nothing like an economy where you don't have to pay your labor anything. And the central role of slaves and free people in destroying the most formidable slave system in the world. You hear that? That's the United States of America. Mm -hmm. The most formidable slave system in the world. And in forging the road of freedom and democracy. Slaves helped get rid of it. Free people helped get rid of it. Abraham Lincoln helped get rid of it. The blood of so many Americans helped get rid of it, but did it. Ira Berlin. He transcribed recordings of former slaves made by the WPA in the early 30s. Those recordings had been there gathering dust in the Library of Congress. This guy found them and brought the voices of American slaves alive. I think we need to hear them again. We are an unserious people. We are an uneducated people. We do not know our own history, and it appears we are doomed to repeat it. Just saying. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.